She's like, okay, I mean, I can't stop you from using, I hope you don't die <laughs> because there's, you know, there's fentanyl in everything now, right? So, um, and at the time I was like, I still wasn't even sure if I cared if I died. Uh, but then I had a thought of like, how sad would it be for my family to hear that I was just, I was almost ready to get the help that I needed, but died before I could get there. Welcome to the Recovery Edge podcast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. Today I am sitting here with Alyssa. And Alyssa, I met you at the New Hope group in Firestone. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, but you, we have a common friend named yeah. Mike. We don't have to say his last name, but yeah. we both know Mike. Mike's awesome. Yes. Um, and you guys met in a different group, right? Yeah, we met at uh, meeting number one. It's a Cocaine Anonymous group in Denver. Denver, okay, cool. Um, what's your sober date? My sober date is February 8th, 2022. February 8th, 2022. Home group? It's meeting number one, CA. Where is that? That's in Denver in the art district. In the art district? Yeah. All right, February 2022. So you just got one year. Like last week. I did, uh, yeah, last Wednesday. Last Wednesday. Congratulations. Thank you. Have you lived in the Colorado area forever? Or? No, I moved to Fort Collins in 2016. I'm originally from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Scranton. Yeah, the office. That's right. That is my claim to fame. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> um, how you feel? You feeling warmed up? You ready to share your story with us? I'm ready. Yeah, I feel good okay. about it. I wish I could ask you more questions, but I only met you once. I know. So Yeah. Th- I mean, you're about to find it all out. I so know. ask as you Well, the floor it. is yours to share your experience, strength, and hope, or what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. Yeah. You ready? I'm ready. All right, all yours. Yeah, I didn't want to, you know, I thought about making notes or whatever, but I want to just take a second to let my higher power in and let it be led by what about my experience can help other people. So I grew up in Pennsylvania, um, a little suburb outside of Scranton um, where not much goes on. So there's a lot of heavy drinking and they make a joke that there's like more AA meetings now than there are bars, which is a lot. Um, and alcoholism definitely runs rampant in my family. Both my mom and my dad, um, were in and out of the program. Um, I lost my mom when I was about 11. She struggled with alcoholism and cocaine addiction and ultimately died of heart failure. So, um... At the time, we weren't really looped in, my siblings and I, of what was going on. I was the youngest, so I think they tried their best to protect me from that. 
Um, but it turned out later, I found out when I was around 18 that we had grown up essentially in this like stash house and the neighborhood we lived in was very wholesome and small town. Everybody knew each other's families and last names. Um, and my house was like the one that kids didn't go to. And I, I didn't know why. Um, so from the very beginning, like a lot of alcoholics, I felt different. And there was just some kind of like shame around it all. But I, you know, it wasn't concrete as to why until later in life. Um, so it was, it was a rocky childhood with my mom in and out of jail and rehab. Um, and then I... But through that, I did have a lot of support from my family. And luckily, I had this friend with a family that just took me in like one of their own. And I am so grateful to them. So I fast forward into drinking and using. The first time I tried any drug was in high school um, after prom my sophomore year. So I had this boyfriend that I had been with since eighth grade, and I really think that he was the only person I ever let love me fully. Um, But I think I started to get scared about the idea of staying settled in that small hometown forever because that was his plan. He was, like, older than me and planning to stay home for college to be with me. And from a young age, I I had a bigger picture than that for my life. I wanted to travel. I wanted to go somewhere else and do something else than, you know, whatever the status quo was there. And I think a lot of alcoholics share this, this want for more and a bigger world and just to feel different, Um, which is funny because that drive like led me into alcohol and substance abuse, which made my world so small. Um, So anyway, we broke up the night of prom and immediately I just had this feeling of needing to escape all of these emotions like I could not sit with that so I went and smoked weed for the first time and then from that night on it was just on every day I was high and you know like getting into a circle of friends that smoked weed it was just really easy to fit in like it didn't matter what social group you came from like we could all bond there but it wasn't you know true bonding or true friendships I think so then drinking came into the picture and that very quickly became high priority for me um Friday night like just itching to figure out what party we were going to go to how we were going to get alcohol if we couldn't get it I was restless irritable discontent and was you know dead set on that um and was never a social drinker. It was, you know, like blackouts from the start. 
And then my senior, or my junior year of high school prom, um, I had the great idea to drink before, and I got caught because I was, you know, just showed up, like, you know, getting to my limit. And my friend was like, we just need to get her some bread and she'll be fine. (laughs) But we were walking down the hallway and some teacher stopped me and it was a big deal. Like I had to take a breathalyzer and uh, since I was under 18 and I was really drunk, I blew something really high. I don't remember, but they had to send me to the hospital and it was like this whole ordeal (laughs) yeah apparently no one at my school had ever gotten caught for drinking (laughs) oh keyword getting caught yeah so (laughs) i thought it was an achievement but actually it really wasn't yeah (laughs) yeah and i i mean up until that point like i was very goody two shoes held a good reputation was totally a Mm -hmm. nerd and like you know had the respect of my teachers and the administration um, so it was really hard. They, were, I think, were really disappointed and, and sad for me that it had gotten to that point. Um, so we got expelled, or they were thinking about expelling us. Um, thank God they didn't, but they just suspended us for two weeks, and that was hard. Um, and during this time, I was getting really close with my great uncle, my grandfather's brother, my uncle Kevin. He has 35, 36 years in AA, and he just lights up a room when he enters it, and I had always admired this freedom that he had and the joy for the simple things in life, and I, it seemed so unattainable to me. It didn't feel real, but uh, it did. Like, (laughs) you just had to be in front of him, and you would get it. Uh, So he and I hiked a lot, and... Um, after that incident at prom, I mean, he had always been open about the 12 steps in his life, but I think he was, uh, (laughs) you know, bringing that into conversation more since that happened. And one day it just felt like it came out without my permission that I wanted what he had. And I, I was really intrigued by the 12 steps. Well, maybe like, you know, two through 12, anything (laughs) that I could do, but not stop drinking. I just, I was 18, 17 or 18, and I just didn't see that working out for me. So it was kind of like a two-edged sword. Like I, I saw this glimmer of hope for my life and kind of had the idea that I would get there eventually. Um, but I knew I wasn't ready and I was afraid of what was going to happen in the meantime. Um, so when I graduated high school, I decided to move to Colorado, um, and I got hired on a political campaign. I, um, took the year off a gap year to, um, establish in-state residency for tuition. Um, and things lightened up with my drinking at that time. I was meeting new friends, um working really hard, but as soon as I found a friend group that I got comfortable with, the drinking just, you know, took off again. Um, And so I 
Um, so got into community college and was paying it off as I was going along. And all of a sudden, I was working full-time and going to school full-time. And I was kind of committed to cutting down my drinking and partying. Uh, and then somebody suggested that I take Adderall. And I was like, oh, perfect. I can work all day and then stay up all night and do all of my schoolwork. Um, which definitely worked for a while until it didn't. And I had just been robbed of all of my dopamine, serotonin, and got to a point where I could not do anything. And school had always been really important to me. I took pride in my work, but I got to a point where with or without Adderall, I couldn't function. And um, I had always dealt with depressive episodes, um, always unmedicated. So I think Adderall was the hope there was to, you know, get me to function on cue. Um, but the result was just sending me into a really deep spiral that I could not get out of. Um, I ended up getting off of Adderall somehow. Um, with the pandemic, things slowed down. I decided not to go back to school the next semester because I had failed classes and I just felt so disconnected from who I was and didn't want to keep that pressure going um, because I was quickly getting to a place where I I couldn't sustain it like I wanted to die frankly and um, I think that brought in that was when I got pretty conscious of this character defect that I still deal with today of avoidant attachment and I had in the last few days I've been sitting with that and making connections um it comes from a fear of abandonment you know the people that I trusted with my life as a child didn't show up for me and um and you know losing my mom that was a big ab abandonment deal for me um and around that time, I had this idea that I one day was going to take my own life and I didn't want to let anyone into that further than I already had and, you know, like, just create that devastation. For So I wasn't letting anybody in, truly, um, which, yeah, today I I don't feel that way at all and it's because of what the program of AA has given me. Like, it's given me a life that I feel fueled by. And, um, yeah, I'm so happy to be here today. So um, I had always promised myself that I would never touch cocaine because that was my mom's drug of choice. Um, and I did. <laughs> Um, I had gotten into a relationship with a guy who painted this picture of me never having to work a day in my life. You know, he was like ready to settle down and get married. And I mean, it sounded good at the surface, um, but my friend group at that time was very 
party heavy, a lot of cocaine all the time. Um, and they all seemed to be able to sustain it and party on the weekends and then just go back to work like normal. Um, and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I always knew I wanted to help people in some way. Um, but I, I didn't know what that was and I was feeling really stressed about it. And I just wanted to paint this picture on the outside. Like I had everything together and that I had an aim in life. So I got like my real estate license, which was something I wasn't really passionate about, but I did anyway. Um, but I, this one night I had this realization of like, what am I doing? Like, where do I go from here? Am I trapped in this relationship? Um, and I tried Coke that night and as a way to just escape from what <laughs> was going on. And now in retrospect, like that was what got the ro ball rolling to bring me to my lowest point, which I believe was necessary for me to start to dig my way out. Um, so from the first night I did Coke, it was, you know, I knew that that was going to be my thing and I couldn't imagine life without it right away. Um, so it would be like trying to get through the week to get to the weekend and go out with my friends. And then it led into Monday. If I could wait until like, you know, evening. Um, and then quickly it was the first thing I thought of when I woke up in the morning and then similar to Adderall, it was what I reached for when I would start to feel depressed because it could get me out of bed and it could get me to get done what I needed to get done. Um, and then at the end of the day, I would just be so miserable, like so hopeless, thinking about dying every single day. <laughs> and no one in my life knew about that and so that went on for like a year and I describe it to people sometimes from taking that first hit I feel like I left my body and just took the back seat and watched myself from like third person point of view kind of wreck my life <laughs> um so I had broken up with that guy where I didn't see things ending well and then I, you know, through this group of friends that I was using with, I met this guy that I really fell in love with. We really shared all of the same values. He was extremely motivated, caring person. And with my track record of hurting people and not letting people in, I was so afraid to get into a relationship with him because I just couldn't imagine hurting him, like someone who gives his heart so freely. Um, and he had no idea the length I was using. Um, but it came down to one night where I was really, really hopeless and going through this existential crisis of nothing really matters. Like I, who knows, like I might die tonight or like, Maybe I'm just done. Maybe tonight I will take my life. And I cheated on him. And I felt terrible, but also numb. Because it, in my mind at the time, it didn't matter. Um, and I saw him that night. And 
finally for the first time like opened up about everything that was going on in my head and where I was at and you know here is this girl in front of him who just broke his heart and betrayed him and I just I I want to thank him so bad for what he said next to me because it really was kind of an impetus for me to get my shit together and that was like this this hurts but please, whatever you do next, like, don't let this be in vain. Like, don't do this to another person. Like, you have a good heart. Take this and run with it and turn it into something good. And and I didn't know if I could at the time, um, especially, like, my state of mind was just not great. Um, but so a couple weeks prior to this happening, I had a New Year's Eve party. So this was, yeah, January um, 2022. And I had one friend in my friend group that was sober and he would hang out with us partying and like was not affected by that at all. And he made a joke because he works in treatment and he's like, if any of you need rehab, like, let me know. (laughs) And And I had that very small window of clarity, like, like I really think I need help like it I can't believe it got to this point and at the very end of the night everyone is going to bed I was like Andy wait I think I need to go to rehab and it involuntarily just came out and I was like oh god um so then weeks later this happens and I know that I have Andy that I can get back in touch with he's well connected in the programs and in treatment um And he came over the next day and helped me look at uh, inpatient rehab facilities. Uh, And I just knew that I, it was out of my hands. Like I knew that it wasn't something that I could get a grasp on on my own with the addition of like all the mental health issues I had dealt with for so long. Um, So he helped me get health insurance because I didn't have health insurance for a long time and it all worked out perfectly to get me into treatment February the first week of February um I also I had been nannying full-time for this family that I love I they feel like my family um and I had to get the courage to reach out to the mom and let her know what was going on and I had this really difficult phone call of like, here's where I am. I don't want to keep digging myself deeper. I really want to go get help. And I think this is what I need to do is get a 30 day uh, time period to work through everything and get a solid foundation. And she was so understanding and I am eternally grateful to her because that family is everything to me and I still work with them. And she actually, she's like, this is so weird. It's perfect timing. She had just met an au pair, so a woman from France that came to nanny for a family that didn't work out for her, and she was going to move, but she needed temporary work for a month. <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, <laughs> like I just met her yesterday. So all these little things are aligning. And I found a rehab, made the plan to go, Um, And that was about two weeks out or three weeks out. So I had this meantime of um, 
trying to detox off coke before I got there. And um, I started going to Cocaine Anonymous, which I am so glad someone introduced me to because that from the very first day felt like family. It felt like a place that I could share anything without fear of judgment. Um, And there was just so much hope in those rooms. Um, And I was, you know, I was still using when I was going to those meetings at first. And this woman who ended up sponsoring me knew that. And she was, she was just a rock for me where I needed desperately to get out of my head. And she was like, okay, I mean, I can't stop you from using, I hope you don't die (laughs) because there's, you know, there's fentanyl in everything now. Right. So, um, and at the time I was like, I still wasn't even sure if I cared if I died. Uh, But then I had a thought of like, how sad would it be for my family to hear that I was just, I was almost ready to get the help that I needed, but died before I could get there. Um, And so that helped me stop. And I, I stopped for the week before I went and I am, I love my experience in rehab. It changed everything for me. It was in this um, mountain house past Boulder. And um, dual diagnosis. So there's a lot of uh, counselors with shared experience and um, psychologists, psychiatrists, a lot of group therapy, a lot of one-on-one therapy. And I looked at parts of myself that I swore I would never look at again and um, I knew that I wanted to take the 12-step route um, but I wasn't sure how to start working it and there was um, some people in AA that worked as counselors there and there's this one girl specifically who talked about God so effortlessly which really scared me (laughs) I was like stay away from her. <laughs> she, she, she's not all, all there. Right. Um, but it was, it was so natural to her and it didn't like, she would never shoved it down anyone's throat or anything like that. Um, but I was, I felt uncomfortable around her and that, but I, at the same time wanted this relationship with God because I saw what it could do for people. And so this one night I, you know, started praying because I guess that's what sober people do. And, asking for help, like, please put someone in my life that can show me what these steps mean, like, specifically one through three, I mean, step one, realized I was powerless over alcohol, I knew that, because I had no will to live anymore, Um, and then came to believe in a power greater than myself, Um, for step number two, could restore me to sanity, um, I wasn't sure how I could do that. And so I went to sleep that night after praying. And then in the morning I woke up and this counselor that I had just mentioned was sitting on the couch, like sun shining on her, just had this like whole aura in front of her. I was like, well, this is what I asked for. Here we go. And like before then I hadn't really never trusted women specifically. Like I had been abandoned by women and, um, it was, it was harder to make those connections for me. Um, 
but as uncomfortable as it was, I sat down next to her and I told her what I had prayed about the night before. And she shared her understanding of a higher power that God is good. Everything of God is good. And if it's not good, it's not of God. And I don't know. I just, I lit up talking to her from the inside out. Like my, you know, skin tingling, like knowing that this was the conversation I was meant to be in at the time. And so we talked about step two. We talked about step three, um, became willing to turn our wills, our will and our lives over to the care of God. And she asked me if, if I felt like I could do that. Um, and I, I wasn't sure. And she explained that you don't have to be willing right now, but you have to find the willingness to be willing, if that makes sense. And I definitely had that. Um, and so she gave me some journaling prompts to sit on around my conception of God and what in my life do I feel like I can't hand over right now. Um, and at the time, I was really holding on tight to anything I could control because I had, you know, always really wanted to control everything. Um, but now I had given up my, you know, I thought I had it all under control with my use and um, I was ready to take advice and do what people told me to do. Um, and I had in the past struggled a lot with an eating disorder and when I got sober, that came back really strong. And I just could not see myself giving that up. I like I didn't know how, and I didn't know how to ask for it. It was that and um, men and just like wanting to be intimate with people and wanting to have that control and kind of like manipulation and you know, not in a healthy way, of course. And so I shared those with her and she happened to be struggling with the exact same things. <laughs> and I was like, this person was really just put into my life. And so we talked for hours and, um, and it all just came down to like, please give me the strength to hand this over. And that like slowly, but surely worked. <laughs> and yeah, what a special to be put in my life so then I came home to Denver and my lease was ending so I was looking for a new place to live and my nanny family had just bought this rental property in Longmont and it was the perfect house for me like a little two bed one bath with a big backyard for my dog and she rented it out to me super cheap and like just fell into line perfectly so um, I was getting a little burnt out in childcare full-time. Um, it's a family of five boys. Two of them are two. <laughs> so um, it was a lot. I love them to death. Um, but I was looking for something a little more intellectually stimulating. I really wanted to work in recovery. And so as I'm getting prepared for the move, um, someone I was talking to in the program mentioned 
recovery cafe in Longmont and that I should go check it out. Uh, and I was on Indeed that day, and that's the first job that popped up for me. <laughs> no way. Yeah. These phones, they listen. This was on the phone? Or uh, yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Laptop. They listen. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy, that, though. That or, like, higher power. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You're probably right. I'm just conspiracy. Like, yeah. These so, phones, they just listen. That's true, too. Anyway, they were, it's a nonprofit organization that, creates a community space for people in recovery from um, substance use disorder and mental health challenges, a lot of homelessness, people coming out of incarceration. And it's really surrounded around the idea that the opposite of addiction is connection. Um, So we share meals. Um, I now teach yoga there. We do some other activities together and they host recovery circles other support groups, some AA meetings. Um, and this is where you work now? This is where I work now. Yeah, they were hiring for a communications and development specialist, um, which is something I hadn't really done before, but um, it correlated with some of my experience in campaign management, um, which, yeah, just ended up matching up pretty well. And I was so happy, like everything was falling into my lap so quickly in sobriety. And I get there and it was my first job interview that I really felt so empowered with who I am that I don't have to put on this front. Like I told them I was in recovery and it just felt so comfortable. Like I was at home Um, and I get this feeling in my heart space where I'm like in the right place at the right time and it brings tears to my eyes and I, it's a special place to be there. Um, and so everything's going great, like better than I could have ever expected. And I'm still in therapy. Um, and then all of a sudden I just get super overwhelmed. Um, so I found a sponsor in Longmont and we worked through, you know, the first three, four steps and the way, so fourth step, we look at our resentments, our fears and, um, and relationship inventory. And for me, looking at my relationship inventory, I wasn't just looking at sex. I looked at every relationship I've ever had and how I hurt people. And that really set me up to make my amends list. Um, but anyway, we, so I wrote all of my inventory and then we would meet once a week and do like an hour's worth of fifth step, which was me sharing this with another person and God. And, um, I don't recommend doing it that way. Most people do it in like one day, but I was sitting in my own shit for months and like just the weight of the mess I had made was just unbearable at some times. And I was still, so my depression came back and I was like, what the hell? Like (laughs) I thought I did the work, like I should be feeling good. Um, And the way that it shows up for me is just getting wildly overwhelmed at like minimal things and so I'm starting this new job I a lot of it is writing 
um, and just like organizing communications plans and just whatever um, logistical stuff. And uh, (laughs) that on top of my step work just totally consumed me. And I woke up one morning, like not able to get out of bed, feeling like I could never catch up on all the work that I had on my plate, which realistically was not that much. (laughs) And like talking to my therapist, who's like, okay, tell me exactly what you have to do. And it was like three major projects. He's like, okay, can you do that in like two days? Yeah. Um, But I just still was, wasn't feeling right. Um, And I, one day I went into the cafe um, and I sat in on one of our peer support circles. So it's let, it's facilitated by a peer support specialist and the members of the cafe share um, some of their goals for the week, some of their struggles for the week. And they are so vulnerable in that space and the things that these people are dealing with on a daily basis, like one woman is in addiction or sorry in recovery from heroin addiction and now is like trying to help her daughter get out of it and what she circled back to was that she was just so grateful to be sober that day and to be surrounded by sober people and I was just taken aback by like how privileged I am and how well things are going but still I'm just sitting here feeling sorry for me myself because I can't do cocaine, <laughs> you know, like, woe is me. Um, and so it really got me thinking, like, okay, people, everybody has something that they have to get over in their lives. Not all of them become alcoholics and feel sorry for themselves forever. Um, so what are you going to do with the privilege you have and like these these people that have shown up for you in your life and like what are you going to do with this pain and how are you going to transform that into something that can help other people um and so I saw a psychiatrist about my depression and got on um an antidepressant which actually made things worse for a couple weeks and I just uh was a useless horizontal (laughs) human being in my bed um and I was ready to quit my job at the cafe honestly I thought that I had just you know gotten so far behind that it was irredeemable and that had always been my pattern that I things get too hard I can never get my way out of it so I'll just quit and run um but I realized I don't have to do that anymore. Like I have this amazing gift of honesty and trust in the universe that things will work out, whether that's what I think should happen or not. Um, And also I'm in this job that supports people in recovery and is very considerate of mental health. So I told my supervisor what was going on and she was really just worried about me and wanted me to be okay and took on some of my workload. And I told her that it was expected that, you know, there would be a transition period of me getting used to this medication and hopefully it works, you know, I don't know. Um, But I was just ready to trust that there was a way out of this. And wow, 
I am so thankful that I didn't quit that job. Um, so yeah, after a few weeks, it really, um, balanced out the way my psychiatrist explained it was, um, he gave me a complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, what that meant was my depressive symptoms come from my brain's protective coping mechanism, which is to shut down if things get too hard and like with repetitive traumatic things happening throughout my life. Um, it just gets triggered when it shouldn't, when it's not life or death, um, uh-huh. <laughs> like an article I need to write. <laughs> um, so yeah, things got stable really fast and I finished my fifth step and I was finally free of everything I had carried for so long. And it like, again, that kind of like pink cloud feeling came back and I was happy and I was so happy that I stuck through something for the first time. Um, and my sixth step looking at my character defects was, was really helpful with my sponsor and my therapist who also happens to be a member of AA. Um, yeah. And the, I was just so overjoyed to move into the next step work and recently started to make amends to my family. I had cut out my family for a while, my uncle Kevin. Um, when things went downhill for me, I put so much distance between, um, between us because I just didn't want him to know. I didn't want him to worry. And he's the person I love the most. And so I was, you know, he, we got back in contact as I told him I was getting sober and I wrote him this amends letter and he called me the next day after he got it and he was just giddy like a school kid. He's like, I've been praying for this for so long and now you're here and now you're going to celebrate a year soon and you'll be able to help other people. And um, I had also told him I'm planning on going back to school and education is like a big value of his and he was just like I don't need good news for 50 years <laughs> and, that was, um, and so all of these immense letters that I was so scared to send out I got such an overwhelming response of loved and today I feel so loved and so taken care of and supported by God and this program and my family and yeah all of the people in my life um, so yeah, I guess I'm, yeah, I'm starting to work a 10th step every night, taking my inventory of the day and asking for the strength to carry out a will that is stronger and for the better good rather than my own selfish <laughs> wants. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the day that I get to take a sponsee through the steps and, yeah, it's everything. So I'm looking at next month, I am going back to school to finish my bachelor's degree um, in human services with a minor in nonprofit management. So my end goal is to get a master's, um, and I'm also starting a state certification for addictions counseling. 
Um, and it's it's really all coming full circle because I see myself wanting to stay in the nonprofit sector. Um, what I really want to do is start a nonprofit that offers childcare and group therapy, or f- sorry, family therapy for families affected by addiction and incarceration. And I am on a steady path to do that right now. So things are looking up. Congratulations on all of your success. Thank you. It's been quite the journey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's rewind for a minute here. Sure. The first time that you took, that you did cocaine, that must have been um, dramatic or something you may not have ever, like you could never forget it because it was something that you wanted to always, or you told yourself you would never do. Do you remember what that was like when the brain switched and said, okay, let's try it? Yeah, I, so I was out drinking, which, you know, helped. Um, But I had this like sudden switch of mind of like my feelings about this guy that I was with at the time and just my life as a whole and kind of just it like let's see what happens from here and so uh, we met up with my friend and I remember like you know the act of like chopping up lines I felt so bad from it but like I've always had this ability to dissociate and like pull myself out of the situation almost and like not have to truly feel it that makes sense um and then another question here this is a kind of a sappy question, but sure. <laughs> since you're so newly sober, really, yeah. Um, if you could, like, if you could just write yourself a letter to to Alyssa, like two years ago, or whenever mm. you were in the worst of your um, addiction, what what type of things would you write? I I was thinking about this today of like the fact that I truly would not change a thing of what brought me to where I am today and I think that's where the whole outlook of like grateful alcoholic comes from that I would never have taken the steps if I didn't need to um but two years ago me I mean just like trust in yourself like find that core of who you really are which is a very happy and loving person that wants to give back and uh, lean into trust of the world around you rather than fear. Thanks, Alyssa, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope on the Recovery Edge podcast. I'd like to thank our listeners. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more of our episodes on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to check out your podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.